What is going on, everybody? Welcome into episode 11 of Taking Heat. It's been a minute, but we are back and back at it as per usual, as we've got another great topic in store here for you today. Again, 11 episodes in. Seems like it's been just a, a, a blast, and it's, it's been such a whirlwind that we, we don't even know how we got here. But this week's topic, as the last episode, if you remember, was won by Cam and Logan themselves, and they have decided to come together to present the topic of the most underrated athlete of all time. Now, what makes an athlete underrated? Well, there's a lot of things, whether it's someone who doesn't get the recognition they deserve just in general, maybe someone who we feel deserves to be in the greatest of all time category and they just don't get talked about enough, or just someone who, once again, doesn't get, you know, they don't even, they're a forgotten player in history and they deserve to be talked about a little bit more. So, before we get into it, I want to go ahead and say, be sure to follow the podcast on Spotify, like the channel on YouTube, like, subscribe to the channel on YouTube, like the video on YouTube, all that good stuff. Be sure to comment down below if you agree or disagree with our takes. If you want to give a take of your own, be sure to let us know down below. My name is Blake Holmes. I'm here tonight by the usual suspects, Cameron Woolwine, Trevor Tidwell, and Logan Porter. Cameron in the top left, Trevor in the bottom left and Logan in the bottom right. No face cam for today. I am not in my normal uh, surroundings. So once I'm back into uh, my apartment where my, my my equipment is, then we'll have face cam. And we'll also have a Twitch live stream at that time as well. So how are y'all doing tonight? And yeah, it's been a minute. How excited y'all start talking sports again? I enjoy sports very much so. <laughs> But besides that, I enjoy sports a lot, obviously. It's always fun at least watching other teams win. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Football is not fun right now. Football sucks right now. Uh, baseball is actually the best sport because the Braves are about to win the NL East after being down 10 and a half games at one point in the season. But you didn't hear it from me. Uh, you hear it from Trevor because baseball is awesome because Albert Pujols in his career is awesome. Trevor, how are you doing tonight? So I would like to say that the Hurricanes won last night, eight to one, which is awesome. Yeah. Preseason game, big time win for Carolina. I was muted. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking. I was like, Logan, come on, man. <laughs> um, but uh, ba- baseball's really good right now, man. So like you were talking about the uh, the Braves clutching out the division and like. Uh, really good series between them and the Mets over the weekend mm-hmm. um, with Atlanta sweeping them in either the three or the four game. I think it was a three game series. Um, also, Wait, I I'm think I big... saw something about that. It was a three game series. And the way it worked was if the Braves had managed to def- lose even one of those games, the Mets held the tiebreaker with three games to go. Um, and they would have been up a game on the Braves. All right, they would have been tied, but the Braves again would have lost the tiebreaker because the Braves swept them. They took a two-game lead over the division, and they hold the tiebreaker. So all it takes is either a Mets loss or a Braves win. At the time of recording this live action, it is currently the top of the ninth with two outs, and the Braves are batting two to one against the Marlins. Matt Olson's on at the plate. So. 
Uh, should be a fun time in Atlanta as long as they can hold on to this lead. Yeah, uh, currently a big season for St. Louis. Um, so it's the final season for uh, Albert Pujols, um, Yadier Molina, and Adam Wainwright. Um, and just those three guys hold so many records. Um, so Adam Wainwright, uh, starting pitcher, played for St. Louis uh, every single year of his career. Um, and Yadier Molina, who has played for uh, catcher for St. Louis for every single year of his career, um, they have broke the record for the most uh, starts as a battery, which means uh, a pitcher and a catcher combo. Uh, I think they're at like 329 or something like that, just passing the previous record. Um, also, Albert Pujols uh, having a great last season, and he's 42. Um, he has 20... Uh, 24, 25 home runs so far, um, putting him at 703 currently, uh, which puts him uh, in the top four overall MLB players in home runs behind Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth, and uh, another guy, I can't think of his name right now. Is the other one that is 755, Barry Bonds at 761, and... Mm -hmm. Again, this is just it, it's astounding, and I, I I do want to go ahead and make sure this is known. Like, and Garen, Pujols would have, uh, yeah, yes, Pujols would have stayed in St. Louis basically for his entire career if you know what happened was it was a contract dispute. He wanted more money, and uh, at the time, St. Louis wasn't willing to give that to him, and they both went their separate ways. And out Al and Albert hung out with the Angels for years and years and the Cardinals continue winning. So uh but those three names alone are just legendary figures in baseball and it's just it, it is wild to see them finally hanging it up. Yeah, it's a it's a season of basically just the three of them having fun. And it's fun as an outsider just to watch this happen. I remember us having a conversation just literally just a couple of months ago and we were sitting here saying like, well we hope that Albert gets to 700, but we don't know if he's going to be able to do it. Like, I, I don't know. I never would have thought that he would have 703 with, like, two or three games remaining in the season. It's just nuts. Right. And they're not, like, meatball pitches that he they're hitting. They're throwing him backdoor sliders. They're throwing him breaking balls. And he's just – I mean, he's he's playing like – he's hitting the ball with power like he was. he's in his mid-20s again. Yeah, and it's like every single one of these home runs are like clutch home runs to tie the game or to get the lead or whatever. Um, it really is a blast. It feels like uh, like watching him play now uh, makes me remember um, watching him play back in like 2009, like 2010 era, where he was like for like five or six years, he was like the, one of the top five in National League MLB. Uh, MVP voting. It's oh outstanding. And also, he hit his 700th home run against the Dodgers. It's always, uh, we don't like the Dodgers around here. So I'm always in for points against the Dodgers. Um, but 
with that being said, again, that's that's what's happening in the sports world right now. Again, we're in week we're going into week five of the NFL season. We don't I don't want to talk about that because it's gonna make me sad. So we're gonna go ahead and jump right into um Well, I was I was gonna say while I mean while you was talking about basketball or not basketball, baseball, there was there was another part of history that was uh broken just this year. It was uh the Seattle Mariners making the playoffs. Correct. For the first time since two thousand one. Uh, first time since really it was Ichiro's rookie year. They actually won an AL record uh, most games in the season that year. And then now they are officially again led by another dynamic rookie in Julio Rodriguez. They are the, the all every both conferences, I believe the playoffs are set. And now we're just playing at the remaining. Now it's just a matter of seeding as far as where they go again. Because it is still possible for the Braves to lose the division to the Mets. But if I'm not mistaken, the Phillies are going to be the last seed as they are, have beaten out the Brewers for the last wildcard spot. And then in the AL, I, be- I don't believe there's too much shifting that can go on after that. Uh, speaking of which, again, I have it here because history is about to be made. The Braves are up 2-1 in the bottom of the ninth now, but we'll get into it. So, uh, again, this week's topic, most underrated athlete of all time, someone who we feel deserves to get more recognition than they do or ranked higher than they already are. I have my wheel up here. Again, Spotify listeners, if you are listening on Spotify, you want not be able to see the wheel. You'll be able to check that out on YouTube, um, all that good stuff on the video. So, Spinning the wheel for the first time. I'm clicking the wheel several times. So, again, we'll see who it lands on. And it will be Logan starting us off. Logan, yeah, floor is yours. All right. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this off with saying that uh, there are a lot of sports out there. And we definitely tend to focus on a core set. Not us individually, but like uh, when I say us, I mean everyone in the world as a whole, you know. So, something I was thinking about is I, I was thinking who are some athletes that are athletes, but like they're not really known for that. And I came into this thinking that wrestling is a point to show that because. Uh, and I and I'm talking like professional wrestling, as in like WWE, WWF, that kind of thing, because there are guys on there who are you know in the peak of their athletic form, but they're also it's it's literally a sport theater. You know what I mean? So I think they don't really get a lot of recognition as like actual athletes, like. <laughs> Some of these guys, uh, Rock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, those guys, they were actually wrestlers uh, in college and high school. Um, Kurt Angle um, won a gold medal at the Olympics for wrestling. He he won it on a broken neck, which is crazy. But my pick for today, who is underrated, and uh, he was, and I'm giving it to him because he's one of my favorite wrestlers, and it's uh, Mick Foley from the WWF era so uh mick foley he played as multitude of characters he's most well known for his character mankind uh he was a four-time world champion um and an 11-time world tag team champion in uh professional wrestling uh but he was known for his stunts he was he was a big stunt guy um 
his most well-known performance was in uh, a Hell in the Cell match in 1998, where he was fighting against The Undertaker in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, he was at the top of of the cell uh, with The Undertaker, and The Undertaker picked him up and threw him off the edge, uh, where he went plummeting down to the earth. Um, uh, Jim Ross was commentating it, said some very famous lines. As mankind was leaving, he looked back, went back up to the top, and then Undertaker threw him through the ring again, and he broke the ring. Um, that that I mean, it's a it's, it was a classic match. Uh, they really put their bodies on the line. Like Mick Foley, um, he talked. He had an interview after he had retired. He had had so many injuries throughout the years. Um, he had been hit in the face with like baseball bats, steel chairs, uh, tacks, uh, nailed baseball bats. He was thrown off of things, went through tables and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then like uh, another. A point like I want to make as him as an athlete again in 1998 it seemed to be his year uh, in the Royal Rumble match he uh, was entered into it three times so uh, for the Royal Rumble I believe it's 30 there are 30 contestants and whoever is the last in the ring gets to go to Wrestlemania so uh, Mick Foley he had a multitude of different characters to come out and play. Um, and in the Royal Rumble, he played as Mankind. He played as Love and as Cactus Jack. And he went in all three times at different positions of the Royal Rumble match and competed as a different person, which is, you know, that's a lot of stamina you got to have. So I thought, I think that's pretty cool. But. My pick goes to Mick Foley from the WWF. So I'll go ahead and start it off by saying this is an interesting pick. And again, we t- I talk about this every week. I love that you bring in sports that not necessarily are on the front, that not a ton of people are, you know, jumping on the gun too quickly. But in this case, I think that when you're talking about a wrestler, People think that it doesn't take athleticism and it's not impressive because it has come out to prove that WWF was was scripted and that it was staged and things like that. But still, you don't quite understand the athleticism and what it actually takes in order to do the trials and do some of the stunts and ridiculous things that uh, WWE and WWF wrestlers do. Not to mention, you you mentioned Brock Lesnar and... Uh, Kurt Angle earlier in your uh, in your submission as well. What also Brock Lesnar was a UFC champion. He was a wrestler. You know, this is it. it they these are athletes. These are people that come from a very athletic background. And in the case, and I like also when you bring up mankind because when you ask a random person what their favorite uh, wrestler is or who the you know to name a WWE wrestler they're not thinking of Mankind or McFoley they're thinking of John Cena they're thinking of Undertaker uh, maybe in current years maybe like a Rey Mysterio you think of a Hulk Hogan people like that Mick Foley, it takes a little bit of time for people to get down that list. But when you're talking about accomplishments and what they what he was able to accomplish within the field, playing multiple personas, 
it, it really is a good submission as, as far as that goes. So not only a good submission because just a wrestler in general, he, he doesn't get uh, recognition for being athletic, but also within the field of wrestling, he's very underrated par- uh, person as well. I mean, I, w- I would definitely agree. I mean, like I said, Mick Foley, I, I really like to watch old highlights of him. I mean, uh, I was always, I was a big fan of uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin as well. Um, those two, they're in my hierarchy of my favorite wrestlers. And it's kind of because they're just, they're, they're, they were different from the mold. You know what I mean? Mick Foley, he, he took a lot of damage over his career. Um, where, I, and Steve Austin, he, he just kind of came in, just did whatever and left, you know, didn't stay longer than he needed to. Another thing I want to kind of add on is that I feel like wrestlers are like almost a different type of athlete because like obviously it takes a tremendous amount of like work and practice just to make sure that everything goes completely right because like as you had mentioned before like obviously there is some staging when it comes to professional wrestling but I think that's almost kind of like the beauty in it is like that is their that is almost like their practice, like similar to like an NBA player practicing a jump shot. Like they're out there practice, like practicing these moves to make sure that like, obviously no one gets tremendously hurt. And then the add on him getting thrown off of a steel cage or steel cell, whatever you want to say, like, I don't know. It just takes a lot. And most people just don't appreciate like the amount that these professional wrestlers really put their bodies through and the limits that they try and reach. And there's a lot of backgrounds that come into wrestling as well. Like, because we've, we've talked about like Brock Lesnar, he, he did wrestling. He was also a UFC fighter. So he knows kind of fighting skills. He knows wrestling skills. Kurt Angle, he was a wrestler, a, a gold medalist wrestler. So he knows that wrestling skill. Mark Henry, he was a world renowned power lifter. Uh, so he, he, path uh as well as just being a big guy like uh th- there's so many different things that come in and i think that's why a lot of these like when you think of like the rock or uh john cena they, they have good acting skills because it is like i say it's sport um you're having a good sports competition as well as an acting match and it's funny you mentioned, you know, The Rock and things like that because Dwayne Johnson actually was a football player as well. I mean, this is something that when you're talking about uh, played football at Miami was um, – I'm not – I don't – I'm not 100% sure if he actually ever got – I believe he ended up getting some – or getting signed. He was undrafted. He ended up getting signed by a team in the NFL. I don't know if he ever got any actual action outside of preseason but still to go from a you know a collegiate football career he goes into the WWE and it was because he was so electric and because his acting was so phenomenal and again sports theater that it pogo it ended up pogoing him into the career that I mean he's a who doesn't know the name Dwayne Johnson now or the rock now from his acting career but you go back and yes a lot of people know but he was a WWE wrestler, but a lot of people don't even know that he was a football player at this point. So it's one of those things to where you don't just walk in, you don't just become a wrestler in the WWE or any of the Showtime wrestling leagues 
organizations without having a very athletic past. Um, I, I did a little research. He, he he actually wasn't drafted into the NFL, but he did play for the Canadian Football League. So he did. Ch- I, I knew he was undrafted, um, and he didn't quite pan out at Miami like he wanted to. But um, again, I think it was and the the famous picture of him in the stairwell with the black turtleneck. He's talked about it before, <laughs> and he says there is only at that time of that picture being taken, he only had like twelve dollars to his name. It was just ridiculous to think about and now he's one of the most famous people in on planet earth just and honestly, what i think right now i think wrestling kind of gets a bad rap because like it kind of just feels like someone like a celebrity gets really big shows interest in it and then they just they're automatically a part of the main cycle of people in the show you know what i mean um and they i mean they've had a history of having on there i mean they had uh they had uh Steve-O on there one time and he got uh need Kennery. Um they've had they had Donald Trump uh before he was president. They had him there. So they've they've had a variety of people just come on out of nowhere. It's Robert Kowski is another one that I remember quite uh, quite frequently on there I, as well. He won Romania, if I'm not wrong. He was like the champion or something. He did, I believe, on technicality, he held the championship belt for like 13 seconds and then got pinned right after and ended up relinquishing it. But that's true. I mean, Rob Gronkowski is a WWE champion, at least for a little bit of some sort. Um, Trev, any comments or anything like that? Um, so I'm not super um, knowledgeable about uh, any sort of um, I don't know if you would categorize this as like MMA, like any sort of sports where there is uh, physical altercation and like that is the sport. Um, when I was a kid, um, I had, I think my cousin was really into WWE and he would have like all the toys and he had like the the toy, which is the ring and he had all action figures and there were a couple of video games or whatnot. And I never super got it. Um, but uh, not to say that I don't recognize it as a sport, because all of the people that do these sort of things, whether like it is MMA or WWE or whatnot, they're all incredible athletes. Like they're all super in shape. Um, and I don't know. I think it's really interesting. However, not really on my plate. So I, I will say uh, when when I talk about this, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to. Come- I am an expert on WWE wrestling or anything like that because I I don't even I like I don't watch it when they come on. I literally watch highlights over and over again just because I re- I really like a set era. I don't I don't watch anything new in that that kind of wrestling. Everyone that I really like has already left the sport um, or just they're too old. Um, and I say that, but they there's like. <laughs> um, uh, Ric Flair, and then there's like seventy. But um, so when you when you said that you couldn't get it, like I understand what you meant because that's that was me when I was younger. Because my uncle would talk about it all the time, and I would just I would watch it with him, and I'd just be like, I don't understand this. <laughs> um, granted, nowadays, I mean, I can I can kind of understand it more. Um, 
uh, sometimes when they bring story into it, I get a little confused, especially if you're not up to date with it. It's like, well, why do they not like each other? They just don't like, <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. But like MMA fighting in general, like UFC, I am a big fan of UFC. I like people get punched in the face really hard. Um, uh, it's like, cause I'm also a hockey fan. So I used to really like watching hockey fights. You know what I mean? It's it, it, hockeyfights.com or something like that. I think it's a, it's a website you can go waste so much time on just watching a bunch of hockey fights. And it's uh, something that I will, I'm not ashamed to admit that I've spent plenty of time on. But um, yeah, and you're, again, just the, the fact is the stunts that go into it, the physical wear and tear that goes on. I mean, Ric Flair literally just wrestled in a match like this year. He's 70 years old because he wanted to. For, he wanted to do. He wanted to wrestle one more time, so they let him. And yeah, I mean, it it, it takes a, a, an unbelievable amount of athleticism that people don't recognize. So, um, any last comments or or anything about that before we move to the next person, Logan? I think I'm good. I think we said everything that we need to say. Because um, like, it's it's not something conventional. It's something different. I mean. If you would have, like, imagine having a football game where both teams come out with microphones and they talk a smack about each other, and then they just kind of, like, they, like, hit other hard, but, like, in kind of, like, a showy way. You know what I mean? What is the <laughs> early XFL? Like. What is yeah, the early XFL like, that did not work out? <laughs> which was owned by who? Big man. That is a, a very good exactly. point. Again. So, and it did not go well, but hopefully when actually another wrestler, The Rock, uh, reboots it, it'll go a little bit better. So, um, first option on the board is Logan bringing up Mankind, Mick Foley, whichever, Cactus Shack, whichever persona you want to bring up him, Mick Foley is the first submission. Clicking it a few more times, bringing the next opinion to the table, it will be in a close one, Cam. So Cam will be presenting his topic next. Cam, most underrated player of all time, the floor is yours. So the reason I chose this player is because I recently just finished watching The Last Dance, which was the documentary about the, uh, the Bulls during their championship run. So the player I'm going to choose for this is actually going to be Dennis Rodman. Um, though he was not offensively very talented and not a good passer, everything else pretty much is a check mark of what you want in a pretty in an NBA player. He uh obviously he's known as the worm because he was honestly probably the best rebounder in NBA history, led the league seven years in a row. He was also a two time NBA defensive player of the year. Uh I mean, I just feel like he's severely underrated just for the sole fact of the teams that he was on. He was never obviously like a number one or a number two. Originally, he was uh, drafted by Detroit, so he had to play with obviously Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas and uh, had Joe Dumars on that team and a few other obvious players. But I feel like Dennis Robbins just underrated for the fact of that he was not very liked. Uh, he got kind of that bad boy reputation playing in Detroit and then spent a couple of years in San Antonio and eventually made his way onto uh, Chicago. 
but obviously he wasn't very liked around the league playing for Detroit. He was never like a number one player having to play with obviously Isaiah Thomas, eventually getting to play with like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, you know, all these Hall of Famers, which obviously he's a Hall of Famer himself. It's just, I feel like he has never really talked about in like anyone's top, like realistically, most people probably don't have him in top 20, top 25 NBA player of all time, but I think there's a real good argument considering he's a five-time NBA champion and just he's an absolute monster everywhere that's not offensively. I mean, he's an amazing defender, good rebounder, pretty much did everything that players don't want to do. So that's the reason I'm choosing Dennis Rodman mostly is just I feel like he's just incredibly underrated for everything he offered to not only basketball, but pretty much every team he played on. So I do agree with you in the sense that when you're talking about rebounders in NBA history, if he's not the first name that comes to mind, he's very quickly on that list. I mean, you're thinking about guys like him, Ben Wallace, Shaquille O'Neal. If you want to throw Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain on there, you can. Um, I mean, some great rebounders of our area, Charles Barkley, Charles Oakley, for that matter. The thing about Rodman, too, is he was very undersized. He wasn't. He wasn't a towering, you know, giant like Shaquille O'Neal, Bill Russell, and Will Chamberlain was. He wasn't this freak of nature as far as like again, like a like a diesel Shaquille O'Neal. But instead, he used the reason he's called the worm is because he used his finesse a lot in order to get rebounds, and he wasn't afraid to. He didn't shy away from contact and things like that. The reason I think he doesn't get enough love, I will say, is offensively. You know, it's kind of the same argument to me that Rudy Gobert has in the league today, where Rudy Gobert is by far and away, I don't think there's a question, he is the best rim protector in basketball. You know, you have defenders you can say are close uh, as far as just from an overall standpoint. You have guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, you have guys like Joel Embiid on some scenarios, but rim protector just strictly at the rim. Bam and Abayo is another one too, but... I think Gobert is known, but when you're talking about his offense, it's basically non-existent. Like, there's nothing there. If if Rudy Gobert is scoring 20 points in a game for you, that means that the other team let him do it, and the rest of your players are locked up. Um, but Rodman, on the other hand, I give him more credit than I do for a guy like Gobert because Rodman did it. It's not like he rode coattails. It's not like he was he, – or he got it all – yeah, it's not like he was on the Jordan the Jordan Bulls for five out of the six championships. Yes, he had great teams, but he played integral parts on them. You go you go to the Pistons, in which again they have Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, Bill Lambeer, people like Rick Mahorn, people like that on that team. Then he goes to San Antonio. Then he goes to Chicago, and again Chicago. You could argue, are they a dynasty? Absolutely, they're one of the most dominant dynasties in sports, but. That dynasty isn't the level that it was without Dennis Rodman in the later years because they didn't really have another interior presence outside of him. It wasn't, again, it wasn't like the Warriors are now. People like to equate, and this is why I always say, in my honest opinion, the 2016 Golden State Warriors, 2015, or the, the KD Golden State Warriors wiped the floor with that Bulls team, not necessarily because... The they are 
you know, head and shoulders much better talent-wise at the top, but because the Bulls just didn't have the depth that that Warriors team did. And so, you know, and that's that's the thing. Rodman contributed to that. Rodman was one of the main reasons why that team was so was so successful outside of Michael Jordan and, and Scottie Pippen. And while I think the reason why he doesn't get rated that highly is because he was basically a non-factor on offense and his free throw shooting was was abhorrent, really. The defense and the rebounding, 100%. I don't think he gets brought up enough as one of the best defenders of all time, too. I think people think about uh, Tony Allen. I think people think about Ron Artest, you know, Giannis at this point even, uh, Ben Wallace, Joakim Noah, things like that. He doesn't get brought up enough for that. So I think that's why he's he, he's not necessarily rated or he's not he's underrated. Uh, the defense and the rebounding is good is way better than people think it is. But at the same time, I think the reason he's not rated that high is again because of the offense. Something I'd like to point out is, um, yeah, Rodman was definitely he he was he was a good he was a great player. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, but he was a player that he knew what his role was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially especially in that that. Bulls era. You had Pippen and Jordan kind of doing their things on offense and defense was kind of where it was needed. You know, the, the Bulls was a defensive team. Michael Jordan was a, a good defensive player. He had a defensive player of the year award. They needed rebounds, bringing in Rodman who they knew could re- I, I'm looking at it right now. In If you include the NBA and the ABA, Dennis Rodman ranks 12th in rebounds Throughout his entire career combined, he averaged 13 rebounds a game. And you're like, oh, well, he's only 12. If you include people that are around his height, he's second. Because everyone else is a center. Like six foot nine or above. So that that's really an impressive feat to make. And I like what you mentioned too, because Rodman exactly. I mean, I give him credit for that too. He knew he was the enforcer type. Because when you're talking about defense, I mean, you have Jordan once again, who, like you said, won Defensive Player of the Year, and Pippen, who is known as one of the best two-way basketball players of all time. So the defense wasn't necessarily a problem, but they needed to go and get hit the glass and get rebounds. And Rodman doing that while also providing the defensive boost and being that enforcer that they really didn't have all that much. You know, Jordan talked trash and things like that. You see that in Last Dance. And that's one of my favorite parts of the entire documentary is seeing what he said. You know, the Matumbo with his eyes closed, shooting a free throw, things like that, uh, that make that series so much fun watching. But Rodman was the enforcer. He wasn't afraid of getting into a fight or two. Um, and he wasn't afraid to challenge people, too. I think that from a leadership standpoint, from a – now, I, I want to say mentality, but Rodman was kind of a, a, he was kind of nuts. Like he just was a, cra- was a very crazy individual. But you know, from a mentality as far as like a, a basketball mentality, a basketball IQ, and – uh, from a leadership standpoint, as well as all the other intangibles that I've talked about, definitely deserving to be higher and more fondly looked at than others in NBA history. Trev, any other any questions or comments or anything like that? Or Cam, any last comments? Um, 
Uh, just to add on to this, uh, we were talking about Shaquille O'Neal earlier. Shaquille O'Neal, who, who seven foot two, by the way, only averaged about ten and a half rebounds his entire career, which is around three less than what Rodman averaged. Wild to think about. Trevor, I know you were about to start talking. Um, I'm also not super knowledgeable about basketball, and especially not knowledgeable about basketball that is not current um so there's a lot of stuff that we talked about uh for this topic too that i did not know so um which i think is one of the fun parts about being on the podcast knowing so little about various things that like every time i'm here i learn something rodman is again one of the most tenacious and one of the most fun players in nba history mostly because he's kind of a psychopath but because he is was otherworldly when it came to rebounding on the court. So great choice, Cam. Again, I I, I think that, again, I, it's kind of the Rudy Gobert argument, but Rudy Gobert's, at least Rodman had showed up in moments and has played the role Gobert hasn't. And so because he showed up so big and because he has the hardware and the accomplishments, definitely deserves to be higher than, than other people think he should be. All right, Cam, any last comments or anything like that before we move to the next person? I guess the only last thing I'll say is, like, I can understand why he's not ranked higher, as we had talked before, just because of, like, the offense. Like, that's the only thing. Like, I talked about in previous podcasts, like, Rudy Gobert is completely useless on offense. So, like, that's part of the reason is, like, I think, per like, Rudy Gobert to me, doesn't seem as good because he cannot score offensively, but I'm over here trying to say that Rodman's a different story, which obviously Rodman's a better NBA player, but that's the only thing is, like, I can completely see why, like, there's arguments against why he is ranked where he is at. Sure, and and like I said, I think it comes down to, to me, definitely Rodman's higher because he did all the same things that Gobert does, but to a higher level that Gobert does. I mean, Gobert, again, yes, it's one of those things. He's one of the best rim protectors in basketball, but the minute you got, you get him away from the paint, he's, he, I mean, he, he's cooked. It doesn't matter. Um, it's the same reason. It's the same argument I get for really the only center. I think in today's NBA that you can say guard all three levels is really probably Bam Adebayo. And the only reason I say that is because he's an undersized center. And he's athletic enough, you know, Joel Embiid close, but he's he's so big that it's hard for him to keep up with those shifty point guards, things like that. Um, and Gobert is the exact same way. Rodman had the body type and the size in order to do all three levels while also getting, at, like Logan said, 13 and a half, uh, upwards of 15 boards per game. And watching it as Rodman highlights for, it's, it's not often that you can go back and watch a rebounding compilation and be amazed like you are with Robin. I want to add this real quick, just to end this one on a funny note. Uh, Dennis Rodman's son, Dennis Rodman Jr., also known as DJ Rodman, um, plays basketball at Washington State University. And on the uh, page for Washington State, they are informally known as Wazoo. They are. That As they are. The Washington State... Why did Cougars? Cougars? Why did I just think? Why well, don't know why I just had a blank there. Other famous alum from Washington State is Clay Thompson. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so we have Mick Foley and Dennis Rodman on the board right now. I'm spinning the wheel for the second to last. Just click the ton, and it will land on Trevor. So, Trev, you can go ahead and take it away. The floor is all yours. All right. So I've thought about, uh, I guess to start off, my the player that, um, the sport that my player plays is baseball. Um, and I've thought about a couple different guys um, who I feel like are uh, overly underrated for how talented they are um, currently in the league. Um, and I have come to uh, the conclusion of a current starting pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, Adam Wainwright. Um, so Adam Wainwright, uh, if you are... Uh, current with baseball is probably a name that you know um and he's had some uh notable seasons um but he has won like zero awards so like, you have other pitchers like justin verlander or clayton kershaw who have had seasons where like all right this person definitely has the cy young award for this year and each of them i think have won more than one um and you, you have other pitchers um who like you definitely know um Adam Wainwright is a name that's kind of in the back of your head, um, but a lot of people have just like considered him an average pitcher. Um, if you look at his stats, um, over the course of his 17-year career, um, he started in uh, Major League Baseball back in 2005. Um, over uh, the 390 games that he has started, um, he has won an average of 63% of them, um, which compared to uh, Clayton Kershaw, uh, Clayton Kershaw has never had a losing record in a season since he started in 2008, and he has a 69% win rate. Um, so uh, Adam Wainwright, who uh, kind of flies under the radar, uh, is still a really solid starting pitcher. Um, and... He also helped uh, St. Louis work their way towards the 2006 World Series that they won, as well as the 2011 World Series that they won, um, being pretty important in the 2011 season. Um, and looking just like at accolades specifically, um, he has never won a Cy Young Award uh, since he has been playing in the MLB. Um, he's been in... Uh, five or six or so votings for them. Um, but he's never actually won one. He's come in second twice. I think both of those seasons, he lost it to Clayton Kershaw, um, who is an amazing pitcher. He's very good. Um, he's also been in the running for a few National League MVP uh, awards. Um, he's, he's never really come extremely close to winning one. Um, and the, the only accolades that are actually on his uh, profile are he's won two Golden Glove awards, um, and as a pitcher, he's actually won a Silver Slugger award. Uh, so Golden Gloves are for uh, exceptional uh, defense, and Silver Sluggers are for exceptional offense. Um, and unless you are um, what Babe Ruth or Shohei Otani, like a pitcher who also hits really well, is almost unheard of. Um, so the one Silver Slugger award that he got in 
what year was that? 2017, like kind of stands out. Um, but uh, his total season or his total career stats, um, he has a 63% win rate. Um, he has a total ERA of 3.38, which um, is not amazing. Uh, you'll see people throughout a season who have like any area of 1.5 or something. And that is considered like an amazing season. If they start 30 games in each game, they play like six, seven, eight innings, and they're only giving up an ERA of 1.5. Like that's a very good season for this pitcher. So uh, a career ERA of 3.38 um, is, is still really solid. Um, one of the other things is most uh, – he, he's battled a few injuries uh, throughout the years. Um, I think a, a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago, he actually needed Tommy John surgery, so he's out for quite a while. Um, and you can see it in the stats. There are a couple of the years where he struggled a small amount, but he didn't play a ton. And then you'll see him right back the next season with a winning record. So he'll go uh, – in 2013 – um, he went 19 and nine uh, wins loss in 2014. He put up the same numbers, 20 and nine. And then in 2015, he had an injury, uh, didn't play a whole lot. And then the, the next season he was back having a winner record at 13 and nine. Um, so I believe if Adam Wainwright could have avoided injuries, um, he would be more well-known and his stats would definitely show it. Um, yeah. Well, one of the other things uh, I'm going to have to ask, Blake, I don't remember what the award is. Um, so there's an award given out every year. And I can't remember how many people actually get the award, but it's like for community outreach. It's like non-baseball related, but it's like community outreach and how much they do for the community and such. Do you know which award I'm talking about, Blake? I believe it may be the Willie Mays Award. But I'm going to no. I, I'm sorry. The Willie Mays Award is uh, for the World Series Most Valuable Player. Um, if, if you keep you just keep talking, it'll come to me. I'm sure. Um, it, it's kind of similar to like that Walter Payton Man of the Year that they do in uh, football, kind of something like that. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's um, the Roberto Clemente Award. Yeah, is. the Roberto Clemente. Um, so he actually won this award pretty recently in 2020. Um, so, um, although not like a star pitcher, uh, extremely solid. Um, and, um, I feel like he'll definitely be in some hall of fame votings, um, whenever he becomes eligible, but even this season, he's 40 and like last season, 39, he's still putting up winning records. Um, and especially last season, um, last season at age 39, he put up a winning record of 17 and seven with uh, an ERA of 3.05, um, which I like a, a season like that. I would expect from a good pitcher in uh, his prime and he's aged like 28. And this guy just like you know casually does it last year, 39. Like, wow. And last um, year, he was in the running for Cy Young as well. Uh, he was, I, yeah. 
I also want to point this high, out. But... I want to point this out, and, and the you know you keep you bring up Clayton Kershaw a lot, and I'm going to say this: the fact that you are bringing up Clayton Kershaw a lot actually speaks volumes because mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question realistically that Clayton Kershaw, from a statistical standpoint, and really outside of the postseason, is the greatest pitcher of this generation. This is something that. Kershaw, ever since he came into the league in 2008, was has been the pinnacle of pitching. And nowadays, when he's healthy, it's guys like Jacob DeGrom. You still have Max Scherzer that uh, is extremely good in the league, and then Verlander in Houston now. But when it comes down to it, from this generation and earlier, it's been Clayton Kershaw. So if your name is consistently in that conversation, you know, again, you have – the Wayne Rice, even Madison Bumgarner, who was in that was competing with Wayne O for one of the best pitchers in the league, he fell off, and when he went to Arizona, it's just not the same pitcher anymore. To for him to do it and have the longevity of it is it really is something because I feel like in today's MLB, people are so focused on like Shohei Otani and again Degrom. Uh, Mad Max, Scherzer, uh, people along those lines, and Wayne O kind of gets. I don't want to say tossed to the side, but he is definitely forgotten about. Um, mm-hmm. But it realistically, Wayno, and you mentioned, you know, we, we remember the 2011 World Series finally because of David Freeze in Game 6. We talked about it on the podcast here, actually. But realistically, they don't, they're not in that position without Pujols. It's funny enough, they're not in that position without Pujols, Yadier Molina, and Wayno. Yeah, and I think those three specifically um, have such a big impact on team morale because uh, they're just three easygoing guys who love what they do and it spreads to the rest of the team. So I think that even um, on the field with his stats, as well as off the field with the team and the community, he's just like an A plus dude. Um, and not to mention as well, when you're talking about, you know, I feel like is not um, number one most important for like being a great athlete, but it's like one of the best things for just being a a solid person overall. And this really, uh, I feel like helps him and his team and his stats and St. Louis's winning records for the past years and uh, only missing the postseason a couple of years since like 2011 kind of shows this. And I also, I'll, sorry, I, I do want to mention as well, like when we talk about the, you know, the competition that the the Cardinals have had to face and things like that, you know, Kershaw had the had the ERA he has and things like that, but we got to also think about what kind of team, and, you know, when it comes to win losses. It's we have to talk about teams that are around them. For a perfect example is this season. You know, Kyle Wright is a, a young pitcher for the Braves. He has over twenty wins in the season. He leads the majors in wins. Does that mean he's the best pitcher in baseball? Not necessarily, because when you're talking about it, these are, when he pitches, it seems like the bats wake up. Acuna, Olson, Dansby Swanson, uh, they're they're all they're all hitting extremely well. And Kershaw kind of got that for a little while too. Uh, you could say the same thing for Wayno, but when you're talking about Wainwright, the Cardinals have had a fringe top ten payroll for literally his entire career. They're not 
ridiculous spenders like the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, those types of teams. And yet, he still manages to get wins, even when the offense can't necessarily get him a ton of run support. He still finds ways to win win baseball games. And Logan, I, I'm a, I think you were about to say something before I started. Going off. Yeah, I I was gonna say I was glad that you brought up the the silver slugger because I, mm-hmm. I was gonna mention it if you didn't. Because in in 2017 when he won the silver slugger, slugger first off. Uh, Wainwright's the only pitcher that I actually knew that had won one. Um, I mean, I liked I mean, um, Verlander. He's my favorite pitcher. I, I like his slider. Um, and I, you know, Verlander's the guy I think of when I think of pitching. Clayton Kershaw is a great pitcher. Um, but Wainwright, I, I knew him, and I, and I can't remember why, but like, I, um, because you know, when you get on YouTube, you get into like a, a slump of just a certain set of videos that you get. And um, I had gotten, when I went, got into college, I'd gotten really big into baseball and I would watch games in my dorm room and I would watch the highlights on YouTube and, and I would see old videos of Wayne right now. I'm like, yeah. So you, you bring it up. He had that silver slugger. I was, I was like, Hey, I actually know that name. And he had a silver slugger. He's the only one, uh, the only pitcher that's won one that I actually knew. So I thought that was cool. But the year he did, uh, he, he bat, his batting average was 262, which for a pitcher isn't bad. Yeah. Um, for a pitcher, that's really good, actually. Yeah. Um, cause the year before, uh, he had a two ten, which is still pretty good for a pitcher. But mm-hmm. those two those two seasons are probably like some of his best, excluding um, like in the late two thousands. Yeah, and uh, it it's they're put it right in between a uh batting average of zero and a batting average of oh ninety one. I think both of those years. Um, he was injured, so he he his pitching stats for those two years are also not great. Uh, oh. he didn't play it. He didn't play a ton. You know what? Now that I look at the the game column, you you are he did not play many games that year. Well, and you're t- you're t- the only other pitcher outside of like a Shohei Otani once again who is just a cheat code when it comes to awards like this. Um. The only other picture that I can think of that's really won a silver slugger is Madison Bumgarner. He would whenever he was with the Giants. And again, that's another thing, too. When you're talking about Wainwright, the competition that he had to face, not only in the entire league, but just in his own conference. I mean, you, again, Madison Bumgarner, Clayton Kershaw, all in the NFC, or in NFC, NL West. Um, then you want to talk about also Tim Lincecum for a little bit of time for the Giants. You have, again, you have uh, Jacob deGrom. Noah Syndergaard for a little bit, Jake Arrieta for the Cubs. I mean, Wayno has had consistent competition for the top of the, you know, the, it's it's not necessarily a knock on him that he's never won a Cy Young War because look at who he's had to go up against in order to do that. And Wayno, even when these, these pitchers are having these tremendous seasons and, and having career peaks, he's still consistently near the top five in Cy Young voting, which is just something astounding to think about. 
I wanted to add this real quick, just going back to Silver Slugger real quick. Um, I was just, I, when we do these, I like to kind of look up people while we talk about them and just see if I find anything cool. Um, uh, I was looking at the Silver Slugger Awards for pitching, and uh, the the pitcher that has the most Silver Slugger Awards is Mike Hampton. Uh, he won the pitching Silver Slugger for five years in a row, and he played on four different teams in that span of five years. Consistent hitter uh, off the mound. I mean, I'm assuming all four were NL teams then, because yeah, they were. Uh, they were. They were. But one of those one of those years, he batted a three forty four in thirty three games. The cheat code in the box on and on the mound. Shohei Otani before Shohei Otani, and, and I have I have never heard of Mike Hampton before. All right, Trev. Any other comments or things like that for you? You want to make before we move on? Uh, nothing for me. All right. So we have so far Mick Foley, Dennis Rodman and Adam Wainwright. So um, I'm not even going to bring the wheel up for this because obviously it's going to be me. So we'll go ahead and start off here. Um, all right. So I'm going to go ahead and ask this question. And I know, like I said, Cam, you're very interested. You're very, uh, you're well-versed when it comes to NFL football and things like that. I'll ask you this question. When I ask you to name me the top four running backs in, or top five running backs or just start naming me some top running backs in NFL history. What kind of names come to your mind? Uh, Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, Bo Jackson, Emmett Smith, uh, Jerome Bettis, Franco. So out of all those names you listed, the guy that I am bringing up here was not on that list. And I think other people will go immediately. The, the, some other names that come to people's minds are like Ladanian Tomlinson, Adrian Peterson, Gail Sayers, people along those lines. But I'm going to posit one player from what is known as one of the greatest offensive teams in NFL history. And that man is none other than Marshall Falk. Marshall Falk was a running back for... The St. Louis, he played for two seasons over, or two teams over 12 seasons, uh, five seasons, I believe, with Indianapolis, and then seven with the St. Louis Rams. And he was known as quite possibly the greatest dual threat running back in NFL history. Those names you mentioned, Cam, you mentioned uh, Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, again, uh, Jerome Bettis people like that, they were known for their hard-nosed football and gaining yards to the ground. Emmett Smith, the all-time leader in rushing yards by a considerable margin. But what people don't understand and what people don't know is he is, you know, when you're talking about um, this t- this player, and again, Marshall Falk, he is not in the top, I believe he's 12th all-time in uh, Total rushing. He had seven seasons out of his 12 where he rushed for over 1,000 yards. And he is eighth all-time in total rushing touchdowns with 100 even. 
again, uh, with the Indianapolis Colts and the St. Louis Rams. He won a Super Bowl in 2000 against the, the Tennessee Titans, which we uh, a lot of football fans remember fondly as being just a yard short. Kevin Dyson trying to reach over the goal line. The, the Rams got the stop, and he is part of what the team has colloquially known as the greatest show on turf. Um this is a team, again, that had him, Kurt Warner, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, an offensive line that was a powerhouse, a defense that was really good. This was one of the greatest teams in NFL history. But the reason I'm bringing Marshall Falk to the table is because, again, I think this is a guy that doesn't get enough, rec- uh, enough recognition. He is an MVP, which is, if you are familiar with NFL football, is extremely hard for a non quarterback player to get. The, uh, the only ones here in recent history, Daniel Tomlinson won it once. Adrian Peterson was the last player that wasn't a quarterback to win it. I believe that was all the way back in 2012. So he was an MVP in, in 2000 by the Associated Press, PFWA, and Sporting News. And then he was also voted MVP in 1999 by PFWA and Sporting News. But he was only beat out in the Associated Press by his quarterback, Kurt Warner. Um, and 1999 was the year they ended up winning it all. Or 1999 season, 2000 Super Bowl was when they defeated the Titans in the Super Bowl. But there, he has the second most receiving touchdowns by a running back in NFL history at 36. Uh, only other player, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he had 37, I know, in, in, in his total. He has the most receiving yards by a running back of all time with almost 7,000 receiving yards out of the backfield over his 12-year career. Keep in mind, 12 years, not a tremendously long career in the NFL. He amassed seven, almost 7,000 uh, receiving yards. And again, he is eighth all-time in all-time rushing yards. I mean... Marshall Falk, for what he did, for what he was capable of doing, and Kurt Warner is also, I think we all are aware that Kurt Warner is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I mean, a Hall of Famer. His stats don't stack up necessarily because he didn't play in the NFL as long due to the fact that he got his start later in his career, plus started to drop a little bit until he went to Arizona at one point in his career. So, but but the main point with Marshall Falk is, again, he is a Super Bowl champion, the second most receiving touchdowns by a running back, the most receiving yards by a running back at all time. And if I'm not mistaken, he also had two seasons in his career where he went over 2,000 all-purpose yards. So what that essentially means, that means, rece- that means receiving yards, that means rushing yards, that means if he, if he returned kicks, things like that. And I am looking myself up just to make sure. Yes, he had a 1998, he had 2,227 all-purpose yards. And he was, in, uh, the associate, he was the offensive player of the year in the AFC. And then in 1999, he had an un- a mind-boggling 2,429 all-purpose yards, 1,040. He went over 1,000 yards receiving for a running back, which is just unbelievable to think about. There's the only running back in today's NFL that has that chance to do that, really, and that's if he stays healthy all year long as like an Alvin Kamara, which, again, it hasn't even come close to being touched. So Marshall Falk, just from the versatility that he brings from the ability to – 
get it done in multiple ways and just being super hard to figure out. Am I saying he's the greatest running back of all time? No. Do I think he is worthy of being in that top five discussion? Absolutely. And I don't think he gets the recognition that he deserves because of some other great players. I mean, again, Gail Sayers is one that gets thrown around a lot. Gail Sayers has half the stats that Marshall Falk did. Um, again, I, I think he deserves more recognition than he does. I, I, there's a lot of outlets that – there are some that rank him in the top five. There are some that put him all the way down at like nine or ten. And it's just something that he deserves more recognition. In my honest opinion, he might be the third or fourth best running back of all time behind Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, and maybe LaDainian Tomlinson. I'll be honest, I think just for the sole fact of, like, I didn't even think to name him, but after you said his name, it made me realize, like, I definitely should have. Makes me, like, I don't know, like, Marshall Falk is, like, he was just good. Like, obviously, like, semi-short career, but also, like, running back careers are starting to get shorter now in the NFL, so... Uh, anyway, that's not the point of this. The point is, like, obviously I think Marshall Falk should also be talked about more, and I could definitely see an argument for top five. Like, when it comes to, like, best NFL players by position, it's very, uh, controversial, because, like, some people think Emmett Smith is the best, some people will think that Barry Sanders is the best, you know, so it's, like, it's obviously super hard to, like, make a definitive list but i could definitely 100 percent see like marshall falk being a top five or top 10 running back like he 100 percent is and, and as you said he's just not talked about enough and i think he does get docked a little bit because he played for a really good team you know you went through all those names that you listed cam for example you go through walter payton walter payton aside from his defense was the the entire offense. Same thing with Barry Sanders. People thought, well, how have the Lions ever won a Super Bowl? Because they literally just said, Barry, you go, we'll go as far as your legs take us. And that's not a, a factor, a winning uh, formula in the NFL. We talk about LaDainian Tomlinson, the same thing. He had Phillip Rivers um, in San Diego and things like that. And then he goes to the Jets later on. But it was he was the entire offense. Philip Rivers was a solid quarterback, and he had Antonio Gates as well in the receiving game. Vincent Jackson was another one as well. But Ladarian Tomlinson was the entire show. Um, Walter, I get Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, very similar things. Whereas Marshall Falk, he had a very good team around him. Again, he had Hall of Famers everywhere: Kurt Warner, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, just to name a few. Not to mention the freaks up brother he had for an offensive line. I think that's why he doesn't get credit. But if it was just the running game, I would believe that. The fact that he has such an impact in the receiving game as well, that shows, hey, even in this crowd of superstars, this crowd of future Hall of Famers, I'm still going to find a way to shine and honestly shine the brightest out of the four. In my opinion, and this is also a little bit of a controversial opinion because I think Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt both are kind of underrated as receivers Though Marshall Falk was the best out of the out of the group on that uh, Rams team, in my opinion, and that's one thing I th I don't even think he gets that distinction from a lot of people. I think that people look at Kurt Warner a little bit more fondly, um, but again, I think that's the that's the reason he gets docked because he was on a good team. But the fact that it's kind of the same argument I have with KD with the Warriors, KD. Yes, did he join? Did he make a kind of a weak move? Absolutely, I'm not arguing that. But the fact of the matter was, he didn't join that team and just take a back seat to what everyone else was doing. He jumped into the team and he took the driver's seat with Stephen Curry. 
Marshall Falk was the engine of that the greatest show on turf. And I think that if you take him off that team, they don't win a Super Bowl against the Titans. Something I also want to point out about Marshall Falk is that he he played he played college football at San Diego State from 1991 to 1993, and in all three of those years, he was a first team All American. Um, uh, it's it says here that in his in his second ever game as a true freshman for San Diego State, he set an NCAA record. For for three hundred and eighty six yards and scored forty four points. It's outstanding. It's unbelievable, and uh, by far and away the best player from San Diego State. Which again, it's not. It's a very short list, but I mean the talent was there from the beginning, and again, just the amount of accolades that he was able to bring in. I, I listed them to you again: the Super Bowl champion, an MVP, a multiple time player of the year and yet he never gets talked about when making a list for the best running back of all time and again i'm not on here arguing that he is the best running back to ever play the game but i do think he deserves more recognition when you're starting to name the great running backs in NFL history he gets a little bit forgotten about because of how good overall that team was one of the one of the things i'm seeing now so i've never heard of this guy um so you bringing him up and like him having all these accolades, like how didn't I hear about him like growing up? He um, was he it's like I said it was back in two thousand and um his yeah he started his career in Indianapolis and played extremely well again one of his two seasons where he had over two dozen all purpose yards was for Indianapolis and not St Louis but it's tr- it's amazing because again a lot of bigger he was never on. To my knowledge, he was never on like a Madden wasn't a thing uh, that big of a thing back then. It, it existed, but it wasn't that big of a thing to where it had. Obviously, it was Sean Madden on the cover. It wasn't players, so Falk didn't have the publicity that some players of today had. And so again, I think that plays a part in it too because St. Louis. It's funny enough, we have two St. Louis players, and I think you can agree here. St. Louis, not the most glamorous city. It's not the most you know, the first city that comes to mind for people. They'd rather see the you have to be extremely good um, and have a personality, like an extremely, you know, out, out of the out or different personality to get a ton of publicity from these types of cities. And Marshall Falk didn't really have that. So it's one of those things. He wasn't the most well-known name, but yet when you compare his accolades, there's not a ton of players from a running back standpoint that are higher than him in the annals of, of NFL history. I'm looking at I'm looking at some of his records right now, and some of this is kind of crazy. He's got a lot of records, uh, NFL records. That is, uh, he has the most two point conversions with seven. Um, he has the most two hundred and fifty games from the scrimmage with five. Uh, most games with two hundred plus yards and with fourteen. Uh, he's he's um, it's kind of crazy that because I, I I also like I I played football and I mean. I wasn't really like big into watching football uh, and I'm still not really even big in watching it now, but I watch it more than I used to when I was younger and I had no idea who Marshall Falk was when you, you brought that up. Like I was like, I have no idea who this is. Um, He was in the NFL 100 um, that they did a few years ago. 
And uh, he was number 70, I think it said. And again, when you're talking about it, like I said, a guy who, and it, it's who can really blame you? Again, when you're talking about, he doesn't get brought up. And when, especially, you know, uh, people who don't want, who didn't, who weren't diehards like I was growing up or kids who, you know, kids in this generation today. I mean, you go and you look up old school football highlights. Marshall Falk isn't there because he's not thought about. It's mostly, again, you see runs from Walter Payton and Barry Sanders. Then you go and it'll skip Marshall Falk. And it'll go to that LaDainian Thomas and Adrian Peterson runs. Because Adrian Peterson, I will say, had one of the best runs at quite possibly the greatest season by a running back ever in 2012. That's one that gets thought about more. But Marshall Falk's entire career is basically a stat sheet stuffer. And it's just one of those things that, again, due to the fact that he didn't have the publicity and playing on an extremely good team, I think that's kind of makes him forgotten. But still, in my opinion, at least a top five running back in NFL history. Would agree. One last thing I wanted to add is I, uh, I pulled up a website that compares NFL players like careers. And when you compare, like, Marshall Falk to Emmett Smith, the numbers honestly are so scarily like similar, it's not even funny. So throughout their careers, Emmett Smith averaged about three more attempts a game, averaged only eleven more yards than Marshall Falk per game. But then the touchdown numbers, they both had about zero point six average a game, but Marshall Falk averaged over twenty five more receiving yards on only two more receptions a game average. So that's where I think it kind of like people don't realize that if Marshall Falk would have gotten the ball the same amount of times that Emmett Smith had, plus the other line that Emmett Smith had, we might not even be talking about Emmett Smith. Easily Marshall Falk could be having like could easily have the rushing record if he was put in the same position. And not to mention as well when you're talking about it, Emmett Smith also played fifteen seasons in the NFL compared to Marshall Falk's only twelve. And so not yeah, and Emmett Smith got more carries. He he got more looks and more opportunities. But again, the fact of the matter was he played more football than Marshall Falk did. And at the end of the day, Marshall Falk has very comparable stats. So again, from a from a statistical standpoint, I don't see how you can leave him out of the top five. And yet some people do because he's not remembered as fondly. Or as I'm, as often. I'm just upset that we're we're not here talking about my favorite uh non-quarterback uh mvp winner and that's mark mosley <laughs> see I, I went through it i was looking earlier to see like just in the 2000s as far as again who was the mvp in the nfl again that wasn't a quarterback and it's one of those they might as well just rename it at this point the quarterback award because when you go and you look at the Again, the winners of the MVP every single season. You have to go all the way back to 2012 for Adrian Peterson. And then 2005, 2006 were back-to-back years, actually. Sean Alexander won it for the Seahawks and then in 2005, and LaDainian Tomlinson won it in 2006 for the Chargers. And then it's Marshall Falk. I mean, it's something, again, like I said, it's very hard in order for uh, people. And, and Mark Mosley, you mentioned uh, the kicker for Washington back then. But the main thing is the re- and that would only happen because it was a shortened season and everybody else played and everybody was so bad that Mark Mosley won it because he actually had some game-winning field goals that year. Only kicker in NFL history to do that. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, my, my I, th- I feel like I've made my point. I think that 
from a statistical standpoint, there is no doubt in my mind that Marshall Falk deserves to be a top five running back, if not higher in NFL history. And it's just a shame to me that he doesn't get brought up as much as he does. So, with that being said, that's going to end it for the um, that's going to end it for the the actual argument part. Now we'll get into the voting. So, the three of you, if I could have you send your votes in to me, and then we will go ahead and reveal them. Y'all know the drill. If you are new to the show, what this essentially does is now that we have all. Uh, presented our answers to this week's topic. We have a voting wheel. They are sending me their votes privately, and then whenever I receive them, I will open them up and reveal them one by one. So, spamming and sending the wheel, the first person that will be revealing their vote will be Cameron. So, I have his vote right here. The vote goes to myself cam marshall falk as the great as the most underrated player of all time why'd you pick marshall falk reason for me is just the fact that like i i didn't even i didn't even think to name him whenever i was naming off top nfl running backs and i i don't know it's just he really he's severely underrated when it comes to the fact that like there's only so many great running backs in NFL history, and obviously I feel like he is one of a lot of running backs who don't get appreciated enough. And obvious, and you had talked about it a little bit, that like they sometimes get overlooked playing in an offense that's one of the best in the league, obviously, or the best in the league. So they kind of get overlooked a little bit. And I think it's just... Um, hmm. I don't know how to word this. I'm kind of blanking. <laughs> oh, and again, I think, like, again, just the fact that it's kind of the same thing we talked about a little bit earlier in your case with Rodman, to where people don't want, you know, some people discredit Rodman and people discredit, you know, people think KD's rings don't exist or aren't real because he played on a really good team. But again, it's the fact, it would be one thing if he pulled what like a David West would have done where he pulls, he goes to the Warriors and just rides the bench and gets a free ring. Instead, Katie, Dennis Rodman, Marshall Falk, they do what they need to do in order to contribute a lot to their team and win a championship. And so uh, not only win a championship, but have the, the individual accolades that they all have again, Katie and MVP, Dennis Rodman, multiple time defense player of the year, Marshall Falk MVP. I mean, again, Shining when it seems like you can't shine any brighter than the rest of your team is something that Falk did really, really well. So we have one vote in, and it is for myself. Just as a recap, for those of you uh, that may have forgotten, Logan came up with Mick Foley uh, from the WWE and the WWF. Cameron came up with Dennis Rodman from the NBA. Trevor came up with Adam Wainwright from the MLB. And mine is Marshall Falk from the NFL. Revealing their vote up next, it will be Logan. And Logan's vote will go to Trevor. Logan, tell us why you picked Trevor and Adam Wainwright. So I picked uh, Adam Wainwright because I think, I feel like when you think of pitchers, like he's definitely not a guy you just think of. 
and really he he has had a a pretty big impact especially for a cardinals team i think it was i just i didn't expect this pick it kind of and I think that kind of goes into underrated. You know, you don't expect it because you're not thinking it. You know what I mean? Um, so that goes in. It And it was someone that I had heard of who I knew. Um, I learned some new stuff about him. And I kind of just forgot because I get so caught up on some guys that you know now, like, you know, Clayton Kershaw, Justin Verlander, uh, some instincts like uh, Chris Sale, you know you kind of forget about some of the other guys. So that's why I give it to Trev. All right. So one vote for myself and Marshall Falk, one vote for Trev and Adam Wainwright. Uh, We will spin the wheel to see who will be the second to last person. This is eerily similar to the, the deciding uh, to the takes wheel, except Cam went first this time. And it will be Trev again. It goes, Second to last, his vote will go to myself. So again, Trev, why'd you pick Marshall Falk? So the big thing is, um, we're talking about like underrated players. Um, so even though I'm not huge on uh, WWE or in basketball, I do know both of the names, Nick Foley and Dennis Rodman. I've never heard of this guy. Um, and like looking at his stats, like how haven't I heard about him? And that's really just the biggest reason. Um, Cause he has multiple like offensive player of the year awards, like three or four consecutive um, as well as uh, that one MVP award. Um, so uh, on the lines of um, underrated, uh, because this guy, his stats and everything are so good, and I've never heard of him, I, I had to go with him. So I have at least clinched a co-champion of the week here for this episode with two votes on the episode. And I will say, I have the, I had, or I should say I had the power to <laughs> sway it one way to where I could win it. But again, this is how you're going to, you're going to know I'm not, um, uh, I'm not letting the power go to my head because I'm just going to make this short and sweet. My vote also goes to Trevor and Adam Wainwright. And again, the reason I'm going to say that is, you know, Logan, you talked about it already. You said some of the competition that he's had to face. And Chris Sale was a name I even forgot about when he was with the White Sox. And then for his early Red Sox stint was a, a supremely good pitcher. You have guys like Trevor Bauer as well uh, that were that were big. And again, it just goes down. The main thing is all of the pitchers that I have named here, as far as the competition he's had to face against Trevor Bauer, which we don't want to talk too much about him after we what we know about him. Um, but you have guys like, again like Jacob Degrom, Cindergaard. Then you go back to Madison Bumgarner, Justin Verlander, Zach Greinke. Then you go even back further to Clayton Kershaw, uh, Johan Santana, people like that. Wainwright has been consistently good through all of them. Uh, every one of those pitchers I have mentioned to you, aside from a couple. Either are newer pitchers that are extremely good for now, or they were pitchers that were really good before but have completely fallen off. Johan Santana, after he got busted for PEDs and things like that, was never the same pitcher. 
Um, again, Chris Sale has fallen off in Boston when we were talking about Madison Bumgarner has fallen off in um, uh, Arizona. And same with uh, Tim Lincecum. Uh, one of the years that Wainwright uh, was in the Cy Young vote, he lost to Tim Lincecum. And Lincecum is the same thing. Matt Cain is another one for the Giants that just – it seems like these pitchers, they, they go extremely well for a few seasons, and then they're just not the same pitcher anymore. Wayno didn't do that. Even facing major injury, he's consistently been – he may not be Cy Young every single season, but he's still above average a really good pitcher every single season that he's healthy. And so when it comes down to it, there's it's one of those things to where, sure, do the stats jump off the page – quite like a Clayton Kershaw, not necessarily, but they jump off the page enough to where he deserves way more recognition than he actually gets. So uh, with that being said, I'm giving my vote to Trevor and bringing us to co-champions of the week. So the most underrated players of athletes of all time, Adam Wainwright for the MLB and Marshall Falk for the NFL. So that will do it for this week's episode of taking heat. Uh, as we always do, we hope to, yeah, w w this will be live on YouTube and Spotify. So if you're listening on one or the other and you want to go check the other out, follow the podcast on Spotify, subscribe to the channel on YouTube, Nugget Station 21, Taking Heat on Spotify. Let us know down in the comments if you agree with our picks and who you think is the most underrated player of all time, as well as give us some topic ideas. You know, we always love to have those ideas to keep for future reference. So be sure to let us know and we will consider it for a future episode. Um, yeah, co-champions. So Trevor and I will be bringing the topic next week for discussion for the podcast here. Uh, and yeah, I believe that's pretty much going to do it. Y'all have anything, any last remarks before we sign off? Crocodile. <laughs> uh, MLB postseason coming up. It's October baseball. Check it out. Best time, one of the best times of the year, and the Braves are officially in at least division champions. I didn't say that earlier, but it has happened. And the Mets are going to Met, and the Mets are bad. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I'll also give a little shameless plug as well. If you are in the area for, of Southwest Virginia, you want to listen to some high school football. Myself and Logan will be live on Friday night to see the Fortress of Pioneers and the. Uh, Galax Maroon Tide play on www.thereversmedia.net so be sure to check it out there um, it'll be myself and we always have a good time on there so a little shameless plug never hurt anybody there and again like the, like the social media um, YouTube and Spotify down below you can also find our social media links in the profile um, be sure to give us some love on there and again let us know what you want to see different from the show or if you have any suggestions for us we love to hear them so with that being said, my name is Blake Holmes, and for my podcast co-hosts here, uh, Cameron Woolwine, Trevor Tidwell, and Logan Porter, I want to thank you for listening in to Taking Heat, and we should be back next week for the topic that Trevor and I will bring to the table. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you later.